This is Profiles in Risk. Hosted by Nick Lamparelli. Every week, we interview those who risk life, limb, fortunes, career, and reputation, and those who work behind the scenes who look to protect and enlighten us about risk. You can find the show notes and other insurance-related content at insnerds.com. That's I-N-S-N-E-R-D-S dot com. Now, on to the show. Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of Profiles in Risk. I am your host, Nick Lamparelli. Very pleased this morning uh, to have not only uh, fellow uh, thread uh, brother in in design, but uh, now becoming a good friend as this is take two, Thomas Jennings. Thomas is the Director of Business Development for the AAIS. Thomas, welcome back. Thank you, Nick. Appreciate it. Uh, we should probably talk about Reign Supreme at some point. Maybe we'll leave that to the end uh, <laughs> between us. Uh, but this particular session is a conversation that we're going to have regarding um, a conference in Palo Alto uh, on blockchain. Um, but before we get into all of that, just to make sure our audience is familiar with who the AAIS is, uh, can you spend a couple minutes and talk about the AAIS? And let's talk about that mug. <laughs> <laughs> I just need to get a quick cup of coffee. I was like, all right, well, if I'm going to be talking for a little bit, we've got we to gotta whip the palette. I'll do, uh, I'll do the same. Yeah, we've got our, our, matching, our matching coffee mugs. We've got our matching shirts. Mine's yes. got a broken handle, though. It's, uh, I refuse to get rid of it because it's my favorite it, mug. But. Is, that, uh, is that a metaphor for the insurance industry? <laughs> it yeah. still works. It still does everything it could, but it could be so much more if they would just work go. with us. Just, it's perfect, much more. Perfect metaphor. Uh, I wish there was a, I'm not sure who the dog is that broke it in the, uh, in the insurance industry, but we'll leave that otherwise. Mm -hmm. So, uh, but anyway, so AIS is the American Association of Insurance Services, and we are a not-for-profit insurance advisory group, and we kind of found ourselves in that position uh, through, you know, we're, we're codified into law under the NEIC model law, which allows us to kind of occupy a pretty interesting space, the insurance industry, uh, where just we to, Just can, to be clear, advisory meaning not like a consulting company. Correct. We are correct. in and not, you guys, a, and not you a guys occupy a very special uh, niche within the yep. insurance industry, protected by law. Correct. And, you know, can basically act as a conduit between large carriers uh, to transfer and share data. Um, without violating antitrust laws. And so that's kind of the, that's the biggest, I think, kind of, if I think about what our, our constituent elements are, that's almost like the most important one is that because of, because of where we sit, people can use us as sort of a, as a trusted source to, you know, put data in, talk about the state of the industry, talk about kind of what, you know, what's going on, and then we can help kind of keep the insurance industry, you know, healthy, wealthy, and wise, I guess. Yeah, so you do ratings, you do forms, um, I, I mentioned on take one, uh, you're the first person from AAIS to actually join the show, but we, in 2019, we will have representatives from the AAIS coming on to talk about the new cannabis product. So you guys actually go through that process to help insurers develop new products. And based off of what I've seen for the session that you're doing 
in Palo Alto for the Silicon Valley in, uh, Insurance Accelerator, also new technologies as well. Absolutely. Um, and so the cannabis product itself is Cannabop. Uh, we launched that. <laughs> I love that. Right. It's actually, it has such a nice ring to it. Like yeah. you know, people, you know, when people are like, well, what, 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 what is it? Yeah. Cannabop. Uh, yeah. This apology, but that's fine. Uh, <laughs> they, uh, yeah. So we launched that in 2018 and uh, kind of like you said, we've, you know, we, we end up taking a look at sort of what the insurance industry needs or wants or what kind of the next you know phase of, of things are going to be. And for us, kind of like you touched on where, you know, we, we do uh, stat reporting and regulatory reporting and then develop rates out of, or develop loss costs, not a rate, but we develop the loss costs out of that. Um, we kind of took a step back and said, okay, uh, we feel like the process for stat reporting could be a lot better. Um, and it's current iterations, current form. It's you know, about 25 years old. Uh, that's, it does not leverage any of the new technology that, that is available to the industry as a whole. And so what can we, what can we leverage? What can we use to make that better? Um, how can we, how can we make it more useful for the user community that, that is involved with it? And so from there, we, uh, we decided that we were going to launch a, a, a blockchain platform and that's open IDL, which stands for the open insurance, <laughs> open insurance data link. It's so many, so many, so many acronyms this morning. It's just, I can't, I can't keep them straight. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so open insurance data link and, it's our, like I said, it's our blockchain solution for statistical and regulatory reporting. Yeah. So not only, as you mentioned, not only is the technology probably antiquated, you know, um, it, it uh, probably hasn't evolved or kept up, kept up with, you know, technological innovations as they have, as they have occurred. It's hard for any corporation to do that. Never, never mind a nonprofit. Um, but something that we discussed prior was just uh, the sharing of information between organizations um, brings up the element of trust. Right. And as a, that's another issue, another hurdle that you had to overcome that potentially blockchain um, provides the appropriate technology to handle that. Correct. And I think, I mean, as you just sort of watch the the general kind of lay the land, you know, you see like kind of data breach after data breach after data breach. It's, it's, I think becoming harder and harder for people to, you know, to really trust what, what people are doing with information and what's going to happen with that information once they kind of, you know, quote unquote, put it out into the world. Um, and so, especially with an insurance carrier where kind of one of their, their penultimate, you know, goals is to just make sure that they have information security and that they're not just spilling out, you know, needlessly information to anybody. It, it provides a, a, fantastic answer to that to that problem as just kind of a first cut or one you know one cut of many many problems so um yeah it's an interesting technology and i think kind of that same point you know we by that same token i've started to try to say the word blockchain less and less uh because it is starting to you know there there's some baggage of, i think your your word for it's better with stigma um just because people are you know they they get kind of confused between having an open, like a completely uh, public blockchain and a private blockchain. And then they'll say, oh, you know, a, a, a private blockchain is just, it, it, it doesn't give all the same benefits that a public one would. It doesn't, you know, it's not, uh, you have one central body that has to, to, you know, preside over it and this, that, and the other. And so you sort of try to just like throw the baby out the bathwater. And in a situation like this, where we have some known parties and we really just need to use it almost like, 
I don't want to say it's like couples therapy, but it kind of is. Yeah. Um, you know, it's, it's a tool to go ahead and, and improve that relationship where you can, you know, I don't, I, I'm going to get, I'm going to get, I'm going to put the couples therapy thing to the side. We're going <laughs> to well, well, use a different metaphor. But. Well, the, the example we used the last time was um, the home that I'm sitting in, right? Um, you have outside of insurance, just, we don't even have to bring the insurance party or stakeholder entity element into it, just outside of it. You have uh, lenders and contractors and uh, a whole uh, the, the town municipality that all have a stake in whether this house is a wood frame or not, whether it is two stories or not, what the value of this thing is or not. Bring in the insurance entity. Now you have another entity that can vouch. They're either doing inspections. Um, and what attracts me to blockchain is that that entire process is opaque um, and it's, it's a shame, right? That you have, you know, a lender who has sent somebody to this property and they said, yep, it's a two story wood frame structure at this valuation. You have the town assessor who has come and said, yep, this is a wood frame two two story building with a certain valuation. And then you have the insurance company all doing the same I, I can't think of another technology that can weave or stitch together those disparate sources that can then be used to provide some level of integrity to what this is. It, 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 to me, it doesn't even have to be right. It's just that you have a bunch of disinterested third parties all contributing information to this thing that then becomes valuable to everybody else on the outside. When the lender says, oh, the insurer has vouched for us as well okay then that's what it, it likely is and you know be especially neat like what if we could then put that in all in one spot so that then every time you needed to come back to it you didn't have to go check with the assessor you didn't have to go to the you know the town municipality you didn't then also have to go back to the insurance agent and sort of start trying to look in three different places to get the same answer to one question it wouldn't that be neat <laughs> wouldn't that be neat reason. you know yeah. I, I i was i was having a conversation online this is this is another example that that came up um, let's say a contractor came over and I, mean, I live in Florida. I don't live in Florida. Let's say, assume I live in Florida. <laughs> I wish I lived in Florida right now. And, you know, uh, they redid my roof. Florida has very strict building codes when it comes to uh, roof design, rightly so for hurricanes and, and wind exposure. And let's just say the building code said six inch screws need to be used to fasten the roof in. 10 years from now, a hurricane hits, rips the roof off. Inspector goes in and says, wait a second. Not only did they not use six-inch screws, they used three-inch nails to nail this down. There is a liability here. Mm-hmm. Now, think of the massive amount of expense that would be required to hire a lawyer and then to ferret your way all the way back through the rabbit hole to figure out who was the contractor and who was insuring them because that's a product liability. And again, I get back to only the block, only a blockchain where you, where what you were describing is that central source that has this disparate information all plugged in there would have that information. Yeah. And well, then I think the other thing too is that then you can sort of say, um, you know, at one point we thought it was, we thought it was, uh, we assumed this roof was made with six inch screws and now, oh, by the way, we know for a fact it's not. And we need to go ahead and, and we need to write a new block. But you can see the evolution of that record as well, where you've said, okay, it went from this to this, went from, you know, from our understanding of it was, was this, and now we've gotten, you know, eyes on the ground. 
Do we all agree that this is the truth? Yes, we now agree that this is like the new truth and go from there. Yeah. Um, and in some ways, it could also be that <clears throat> what could be a kind of a fun takeaway from that is you could say, uh, we've had, you know, six inspectors go through or six, you know, contracts go back through and they've come up with a hundred instances where we saw, you know, there were, we assumed there were six inch screws in all these, these roofs. And now we're finding in all these instances, there were all three inch nails who built it. And then how many of those houses in this area have been built with that? And if everybody was sort of had those records together, they could say, Oh, we thought this liability was three homes. Turns out it's 10,000. And then, Oh, now where is that on your books? And you could start yes. ferreting all that information back yeah. out and get a much better, more clean understanding of, of sort of what's going on in your, your, uh, you know, in whatever you know area you're covering. And the big thing there too, is that, which I think will kind of backs out to, to one of the, the bigger things we're working at is that's not like a data volume question. That's a, that's a question question. So a lot of times, one of the things too, that the blockchain can kind of help out is by saying, okay, we, we need, we have questions we want answered. I don't need to see that that house is on, you know, the 1700 block of this street. I don't need to know that it was built in 1908 per se, not for this question, at least. Um, I don't need to know, like I said, you know, address. I don't need to know that the stud, that it, that the wood frame is, you know, 18 inches instead of 24. I don't need to know any of that. My big question is, was this roof repaired between these two dates? And is it currently reported as having six inch screws? And if the answer to both those questions are yes, we need to reassess. If no, then we're going to go ahead and be hands off. But we've sort of, you know, sort of, you can say that there can be questions that kind of percolate up and people will then want to address those get an answer to that specific question and then move on without just dumping out all the, the data they possibly have on that home. And so, you know, that's the facilitation of a smart contract. And so it's kind of using those tools together. There's a, I don't want to say like sky's the limit, but it, it very much changes the entire nature of, of information sharing between two parties. Oh, sure. Sure. I, I, I'm, I'm even thinking like we, we can't even imagine what that looks like. So once creative people start to play with it, they'll start to uh, imagine different ways to, to bring more value, both for their organization. Ultimately, though, I think once they bring it to their organization, it kind of seeps through and the, the chain and the smart contracts then seep out into other realms as well. And uh, it, it's, uh, you know, it's, I think we get to like basic economics. It's value creation. We're getting yeah. more for less you know, we're taking all of this disparate information, putting it together, and then all of a sudden, all of these new ideas and products and solutions start to emerge from that because it's finally been organized in an economical way. Yeah. And so it's, <clears throat> it's almost kind of like we need to just get past this first hurdle of saying, no, you know, this blockchain is not cryptocurrency. No, you don't know. It's not like once you, you sign on for, you know, any blockchain platform, it's not like, no, all your data are belong to us now. You know, you still have control of your data. You still have, it's still very much yours, but it's just, we're going to be working with it in a new way. Yeah. Oh, and uh, by the way, it's also going to be more secure. So that's, you know, that's yeah, an aside, you, but. You could probably decide who you, who gets to see it, who do, or what parts of the Absolutely. chain, what parts of the chain get to be seen by who and Correct. not by whom. Uh, so that's very clever. Um, that would, that would offer a lot, a lot of protection as well. Um, it, it's, it's, it's almost mind boggling that all of this disparate information has existed for all this time. And we as an industry have been complaining for decades that 
you know, how are we supposed to collect all this information or we don't trust it. Um, and, and it provides such an awesome solution. Could we go into your session? Yeah, let's jump um, into that. Because like actually, before before that. I jumped it, before I jumped in, I just remembered a question I wanted to ask you. Uh, <laughs> to me, the part of the biggest hurdles to get people to disassociate the crypto, yeah, of the equation, the Bitcoin part of it. Although I'm thinking, there's probably some. I bet there's gonna some creative person's gonna find a use. Maybe not Bitcoin itself, but the to tag a cryptocurrency to elements of this to encourage people to do stuff. I'll kind of leave it at that, but that's always the thing I struggle with is like, it's not Bitcoin. It's the technology behind Bitcoin. Correct. It's, it's, you know, it's the ledger that starts, you know, cause that's the, I mean, that's all that Bitcoin is. It's you've got a, you've got a proof of work that then feeds into the next, you know, block in that chain. And so it's just sort of, it's, it's just going back through and saying, okay, you did this proof of work and now you get this next proof of work. You get this proof of work, you get this next proof of work. Yeah. And because that you are then allotted a certain number of, of you know, coins. And then those transactions, those coins are put on the block as well or on the chain as well. And so they can sort of just, you know, that's how it all percolates yeah. out. And so you can use that same technology with private parties and that are already doing the work. Yeah. They're already doing the work anyway. And so yeah. it's, what's nice there is it's less, you know, there's still going to be an encryption from, uh, from block to block just to make sure that it's, it is secure. Um, but it no longer is tied to, uh, to a currency of any sort. And so it's not, you know, it's not tokenized, but at some point you definitely could, um, yep. you could sort of say, Hey, by the way, like, Oh, if you, uh, if you put this level of information, so if we can sort of say, you know, we are looking to get X number X, X level of information, X quality of information, you will then receive, you know, X number of tokens on something else. And that could spin off in its own way. Uh, we're still, we're, we're taking it real slow though. Uh, steady, slow and steady in our, in our mind, I think it's going to kind of win the okay. race. So. Well, that's, that's a perfect segue to uh, your session, which is called design thinking for blockchain enabled products and business models. And um, in our prior conversation, we, we actually spent a, a quite a bit of time on design thinking and why right. that's important. We also spent a little bit of time not boiling the ocean. Like we can make this right. come out and try to make this super complicated and it will fail. Or we can look for particular use cases, which AAIS has a natural one, stat right. reporting back and forth between the NAIC and insurance companies. So let's talk about your particular session and um, why, did you, why did you want to do that session in this particular way? Talk about um, why you think that it's valuable to, to integrate design thinking into a strategy for uh, blockchain and smart contracts. So, so for us, um, so kind of when we, like you, like you already mentioned, when, when we decided to launch the, the open IDL, we came at it from the position of saying, okay, you know, let's go ahead and we know, we know what we want to do. We have a use case where this is going to work. How are we going to make this work best for the people that actually touch the product for people that actually use the platform for people that are that are actively working with it and so we you know we wanted to go ahead and 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 make that happen the best way we could so we said all right let's also make sure that this development process continues moving along so we said all right we're gonna we're gonna commit ourselves to quarterly releases and we need to make sure that each of those releases actually makes sense that we're actually doing something that, that creates value for the users and uh so we, we basically started implementing a, a design thinking process around 
those quarterly releases. Um, and we originally introduced to design thinking through, or maybe not originally introduced, but we started leveraging design thinking through IBM because they're one of our uh, key partners for the OpenIDL. We've developed it in conjunction with them because uh, the whole thing's built on Hyperledger fabric. And so basically what design thinking does is it says, okay, let's develop a, a set of user stories and make sure that each release fulfills those user stories. And so to generate those user stories, you can kind of start with some prompts um, as a blank, I need blank so I can do blank, you know, something, something of, of, of that format. And it's, it's thus far been quite helpful. Um, so basically it was, it was our way of saying, okay, how do we, how do we make sure this, this, this is germane to our user group? I think that's the easiest way to go ahead and just say it. Like, how do we, how do we make sure that what we develop actually makes sense for those people. And, it, and you focused on solving that one problem. Right. right. Which I think is extremely valuable because for one thing, if you can solve that problem, that's valuable in and of itself. Even if it doesn't expand beyond that, you've still solved one problem. And if other entities, other groups end up solving their little problems, now you have uh, like a, a checkerboard of solutions that could then require a new technology, but something to come in and then kind of stitch those together so you get a more seamless solution that's more all-encompassing. Absolutely. Um, and I think kind of your point is that, you know, by making sure we stick to kind of the, the, the quarterly pace, we, there's always a problem solved, and it always makes sure that whatever that problem we solved is solved in a way that works for the users. And so by sort of making it very much a user-centric world because I you know I think like we touched on in our last conversation anybody that's been in a product manager role or has been a product development role or has been anywhere in in that scope or even just as a you know yeah we'll leave it to those two they've had a situation where they said this is what this is what they want we know this is what they want let's develop it and then you spend you know three years putting it together and then you take it to market and then everyone's just like what the hell is this? And then everyone goes back you know inside the company and starts scratching their head and they're like, oh well, what do we do wrong? And it's like well you didn't listen to what the users wanted. And so, like you said, it makes sure that, that that incremental step is always working in favor of the user. And so it just yeah. keeps it user-centric. And then like you, you sort of pointed out in, in the other direction too, that then you can then start to get, you know, a functional sort of pillar that you can start working from. So when other, other technologies begin to emerge or be, sort of come to fruition, you can stitch them together. So, I mean, there's things like, uh, like Burrow and, you know, that's, that's, uh, the Hyperledger's sort of tool to start working on interoperability between uh, Hyperledger and Ethereum. So, you know, Ethereum works well. It has a, it has a function and it, it does what it's supposed to in a lot of situations. It does things that we're not going to be working on right now. And there's no point to us trying to develop it. So we're like, I'm not going to say we're just going to stay in our lane, but for this one, we stay in our lane. We make sure this solution works and is, is operable. They do the same. And then we say, okay, like now how do we join them up? And, I don't know. It's, it's kind of a, I, it's, it's nice to do that instead of try to try to solve all the, all the problems up front and say, okay, it has to be this way. It has to be this way. It has to be this way. Um, Cause I think some people there's, there's times for standards and there's other times where uh, standards can kind of be a little, a little baggagey. They can be a little heavy. And so. Oh, completely. I, I, I think Accord, for instance, um, started to become that way, you know, uh, it got adopted, but you know, you go in and it's like most most of the questions on here don't even pertain to what I need 
done and you know as someone that's received accords on the other end it's like i have to like scroll through a million pages to find the two pieces of information that i need it's not really user friendly um but yeah. it does but it does solve the problem right it it just creates a new one right and so <clears throat> so that's that's the entire idea behind design thinking is to say okay let's solve the problem we need without trying to create new ones so uh i think so for like our last design thinking session, we, we had a, a good group of carriers and, and regulators together and we looked at, you know, what does a data call look like currently and where doesn't it work for you? Like, where's, where are the pain points for you? And then based on that, our last quarter's releases were all focused around, I mean, almost basically on the UI, but then also on permissioning to make sure that there was an adequate level of, um, an adequate level of, of privacy and, um, Trans, like privacy, but transparency at the same time to see who was open to, you know, actually who wanted to share information at what point in the process. How do we want that process to move back and forth so that there was there was a, a a clear elucidation of what was requested and then what was willing to be presented. And then once again, just almost this like this really interesting way to have a conversation digitally and still come to an end process or like an end goal that that will satisfy both parties. And it, it, it's, I don't want to like, I'm not going to get, you know, all starry eyed, but it's kind of, it's kind of beautiful in its own way. Like it really is to sort of say, okay, you know, here's a broken process. Let's get the parties together. Let's have them talk and let's figure out a solution that really works. And I'm like, wow, that's, that's super neat. So uh, No, I, I, I like that metaphor is blockchain as a conversation. Cause that is in essence, what it is. I liken it to the very, very, very early days of email. Mm -hmm. And I remember, you know, some conversations I had um, with blockchain, uh, we had Patrick Schmid on um, probably a year ago on Profiles mm -hmm. and Risk talking about blockchain and risk block. And, you know, part, part of this is part of the backlash or part of the um, hesitancy is, well, not everyone's going to, you know, what if I'm the only one using it? What if the other stakeholders aren't jumping in? And it's like, to me, it's like the early days of email. It's like at some point that you get enough traction, you get enough momentum that the folks that don't use it are actually harming themselves. Like right. they are signaling to the market that they don't have the information or they can't be trusted to supply the information or, you know, some, something to that effect. It, it just seems like it needs that minimum, like a fax machine. It needs a, a certain number to kind of get this thing started and then everyone's yeah. going to sort of need it. This we, <clears throat> I think we, we can even go like, you know, one layer deeper and sort of think of it almost like the internet, you know, first version of the internet was just two servers talking back and forth. And then now the internet is how you and I are talking right now. Um, it's how everyone is going to be downloading this, you know, this conversation is how they're going to listen to it. It's also how they bought all their gifts and, uh, you know, check their, their bank account. And it's how it's just a, a new way for information to move. Um, and it's a different way for information to move, but it's, it, once again, it has a very, it has a good use case and it has a different uh, functional existence. And yeah. so it's just sort of, we're in the infancy of it. We're trying to figure out, you know, what, what's the best way for this to actually work. And like you said, it's, there's going to eventually be some really creative people that are going to be out there and they're going to kind of put together some new ideas. We're going to have a bunch of pillars. They're going to start getting stitched together. And so if anything, it's actually for me. I'm kind of like, all right, you know, say what you want about a private blockchain, but it's going to start doing a lot of really neat stuff. Yeah. And, and as we talked about in a private conversation, it's not a panacea. 
Yeah. So it's not like blockchain takes over the world. I would say for the most part, most people won't even know that it's operating in the background. It just much like most of insurance, they don't know that it's there, but it's doing a, a, a serious service to you. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah, I, I think I was at a, I was, I feel like I was getting backed into a corner at one point trying to have like a, a, a civil holiday conversation. And I was just, I finally had just kind of tap out and I was like, you know what? Like, believe me, blockchain is not going to cure gout. Like blockchain will not, <laughs> that's, you're going to have to just stop whatever you're doing. That's, that's something, but yeah. no, blockchain will not cure gout, but can it, can it fix a relationship that currently needs to be updated? Yes, it can. So let's go ahead and focus on the, let's focus on the solution. It may not cure gout, but it could be uh, the signal, the communication tool between the, the drug developer and the regulator uh, or the hospital to kind of send information back and forth to say, this is, this is what we did to solve this problem. And we want it in a secret manner that only you can see and you can follow our fully audited timeline. You know, who touched it, when they touched it, when lots were made, you know, so on and so forth. I'll tell you what, you can come to my next holiday party and when, when, it, when it starts to get heated, I'll just be like, Nick, and you can come in and you can, you can, you can bail me out. I'll do, I'll do even better. I'll show up and we'll, I'll talk about, um, I'll take all the pressure off you. I'll bring up the Patriots. <laughs> we'll, we'll talk about that and then have you can team up with them and everybody can come attack me literally it'll be everybody in the room you'll just have a target on your back so i appreciate okay. that That'd be that's okay uh who sh for, for your design thinking for blockchain enabled products and business models uh who should attend who do you think would get the most out of it so and so i think first and foremost like hats off to the sva because i think they, they really put together a good program around this one um and instead of kind of it's definitely not a blockchain 101 discussion it's not like oh come here to learn the basics of blockchain it's kind of the understanding that here are the specific use cases that are starting to emerge within the insurance industry and here's the way that you can start integrating them into your into your business so in that sense it's definitely geared much more towards uh people that can steer the ship vis-a-vis -vis blockchain or new technology as a whole um, so more of the executive level and executive level across lots of different functional groups of a company. So it could be uh, the innovation group, if they're the ones who are really just tackling blockchain. It could be uh, the stats and regulatory group. If you've sort of taken a step back and you've maybe heard some murmurings, you know, through the, through the NAIC or through any of our presentations and been like, you know, I think this makes a lot of sense and I want to see how it can potentially work for me. Um, they're, you know, they're a great candidate. Uh, anybody in a tech group that just kind of says, you know, how am I, how am I going to make a, you know, this blockchain technology work with our current tech stack? Um, or it could be, it could be kind of to your, your earlier point, a CEO or somebody else just in that position that says, I know this technology is coming through. I know it has the potential to change, to add value now and value in the future. So how am I going to best leverage this? Um, kind of any of those folks, because like I said, it's geared towards how are you actually going to implement blockchain in your company in a valuable and feasible way. Yeah. So awesome. The yeah. program is January 29th in Palo Alto, California. It's being sponsored by the Silicon Valley insurance accelerator, the SVIA. I'm going to point down, there should be a link there. It'll also be in the show notes as well. I'll, I'll put the link between. <laughs> Uh, Thomas, thank you so much for, for coming on and for, uh, sharing your, your, 
I guess your future outlook on blockchain and um, you know, you, you had, you had said like, it's hard to talk about this in a fun way, but it actually is. It's exciting. It, it's, it's hard not to be a little starry eyed. I think when these massive problems that have existed in insurance have a potential solution. And so I'm, I'm excited for you and I'm excited for this particular program that you're doing. Absolutely. Thank you very much. Nick. I appreciate it. By the way, nice shirt. Uh, you too. Looking sharp, man. <laughs> awesome. My guest this week has been Thomas Jennings, the director of business development for the AAIS. Thomas, thanks again.